Hope everyone had a great day today. We've got a treat for you this evening. As like I said, people coming in, we'll uh, we'll take our time here. Let them let them come on into the room. Um, here in the West Central Indiana, it's been a rainy, drizzly day today. We're still in the 50s, maybe low 60s, but we are going to warm up next week into the 80s, dry out, and we should get some field work going next week. So um, I know it's been tough for a lot of the folks in the Midwest and and I don't know how you folks out west and the high plains are doing it out there. I mean, you're just burning up. So um, I hope I hope hope you're getting some rain sometime soon. All right, well, we're going to get started here again. Uh, Rick Clark with Farm Green Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. We've got a real treat for you this evening. Um, we've got a longtime trader here, uh, Nathan Redding. Um, he's actually an Indiana boy, so that that's that's a good thing um and we're going to get started here so as as my usual thing it's it's giddy up let's go nathan how are you doing i'm doing well thanks for having me good well thank you for being on we appreciate this because we need we need all the diversity not only in the fields that we can get but we need the diversity on this podcast so this is going to be about marketing and and you know how to look at these markets and and what what happens around the world triggers events that happen here. So uh, I'm going to ask you, Nathan, the first question I ask everybody on the podcast, what is on your mind right now? Uh, yes, one, I hope the dog doesn't start start barking again. <laughs> That's and, okay. And, and two, I hope he doesn't ask me anything about agronomy. <laughs> yeah. No, we won't do that. It'll be just markets. No. Uh, from a market standpoint, it's it's really uh it's been really challenging i guess last three four weeks and i think the participation levels as low as we've seen it from the speculator side in a long time so and that's it, not good it, yeah it really it pushes so much more liquidity at uh the computers and you, you could see it in little instances I mean, if you sit there and watch all day long, you, you you can see it. In the last minute, you saw meal go down a buck fifty and up a, a buck fifty over the course of one minute, and it's just computers unloading on each other. And I mean, there's no price discovery in a fundamental sense that deserves that type of movement. But that's what we have. So, so let's just stay right there for a moment. How does a how does a person uh, how how do how do we Play, how do we play ball? I mean, how do we play ball without getting your face ripped off then? Um, we, so we, we work with a lot of farmers, mid large size farmers. And one of the things that I guess we try to stress is rather than worrying about how high can it go, where can it go? We're all businessmen. I, I, I manage multiple businesses outside of the marketing stuff. And one of the main things I always want to know is one, am I going to get return of return of capital and two return on capital. And right now you have a extremely high cost, high risk situation to put an acre of grain in the ground, corn, beans, wheat, peas, whatever it is. But you also have a tremendous uh, price to sell into and a multitude of tools at your disposal. So there's a big part of it is how do you structure your portfolio or your grain position to be able to stay involved in the market, but also put some floors in place where you know you've got return on on your risk. So talk us through that. How would you set up? Uh, how would you set up a, a, a mid-sized farmers uh, program? What would you do? Uh, it's 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 got to be actively managed. But first first step is how much can you Put, what, like what kind of cash do you have to put in place? You can't just jump into this and say, I'm going to hedge my corn with futures and realize I think it's $4,000 per contract to hedge a, a bushel or a contract of beans, 28.50 on corn. Those numbers are rough. I, I'm not reading no. off the screen, but just guess about right. It, it's, it's extremely expensive. And on top of that, you got to pay every penny if it goes up. So then what are your other tools? You've got elevator contracts, you've got basis contracts. Um, and then from just build it out from there, you've got crop insurance, which needs to be part of the, 
position depending on your risk profile. Uh, and so this early in the game, we'll do 20, 30, maybe up to 40%, depending on uh, geography of forward sales. And then we'll move to paper until we really feel like we know what's coming off the field. So, so at this point, you, uh, I mean, obviously, okay, so let's go back to the beginning and I'll come back to my question here. So you've got to gather a lot of information from the, you need to know what his crops are, his acres are, uh, what, and then do you help these folks through also with the, the, um, the insurance decisions or are you leaving that up to them and then they tell you what they did? Depends on what level of service we're into. So we have the subscription service where we'll give you information and it's yours to take and run with. We have a light touch where uh, the, I don't work with any farmers direct personally. Uh, we're, we're, some of the team that I work with, Susan will work with people in implementing a strategy, but they still call the elevator, make their sales, run their own book. But she is there to explain, uh, diversify away from like, if, if this program doesn't work for your farm because you plant all bottom ground, you don't want to be 40% sold before it's out of the bag. She's there to help work through that. And then we have other programs that will do everything. And so it, it's a multitude of levels, uh, depending on what, what the guy needs, needs or wants. I see. And then... We have just, if people want exposure to the market, we have ability to offer that too, um, just from a trading standpoint, so. Perfect, perfect. So you've got, it's an a la carte of anything and everything from, from low risk to high risk, all the way, top to bottom. Well, it's low touch to high touch, I guess. The risk is always there, everything. Yeah. I would consider everything right now, medium to high risk in this environment. Yeah. So if I've, if I've understood you correctly up to this point with the market action you've seen, you, you, you have advised to be 40% sold cash to this point. Is that right? Uh, well, so we're, we're, we're dif diversified. So corn, we're going to be only about 30% right now, but then we've okay. covered the rest of it with uh, put options with the idea that we are at extremely high profitability or, High, high price levels, profitability is subjective, but you're, you're at a level that we spend very, very little time up here. We have a seasonal tendency to start to fade as we get into Safrinha harvest in Brazil, U.S. plantings going in the field. Um, yes, there are things outside of the normal year with the Russia-Ukraine, the dollar real spreads and interest rates going up and costs have gone up, but all these variables that guys want to tell us about why they don't want to sell. Our opinion is a lot of that is priced in the market prices risk so much faster now than we've seen. And I've been trading almost 20 years professionally. And I would say this is the fastest I've seen a price risk ever. Price risk, price events. Yeah. Yeah. And so our portfolio approach is look, we're going to put a floor on all this corn. The corn bean ratio is down to two, which is historically very low. Beans are cheap versus corn. We're 40% priced on beans. We haven't pressed the bean button to go all the way yet. And just because you have puts doesn't mean you're completely covered. The biggest mistake I see is guys buy an option and just let it rot off. Uh, that's, that's a sin, really. You've, you've got to actively manage it once you go down that road. So we put it on. We'll use short-dated expiring stuff to reduce costs increase some of the gamma or the reaction to the market. And then we'll adjust as we go. If we get a big swan dive, we'll sell puts against or we'll lift it. If it goes up, we'll roll it up. Um, it, it, it's a conservative approach to try to stay engaged, but not just break the bank with constant activity. Right. Yeah. You don't want to, you're not churning and burning. In oh, those accounts. That's, that's some of the worst thing you see out here. Um, right. Right. Number so, of turns per year needs to stay really low. It, it's more about being effective. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the farmer's got enough to worry about. He needs to be able to uh, relax and understand that he's got himself uh, hedged, if that's the word we want to use here, um, and, and protected a little bit against some of this, this market movement. But yet, 
if the market still does rally, you've got room to take take advantage of some of that too. That's the goal. And and you're never going to get it all. And no. We've had, you'll have those discussions and it's really hard in this business of working with a producer who for, I mean, he, he wants and deserves everything he can get. But if you do some prudent business management decisions now, and let's say there is a drought that we cannot foresee, or there's a crop failure in Brazil as they finish their pollination, the filling stage here, and all of a sudden corn's $10. Were we wrong for selling and locking in the $7 floor that was three to $400 an acre profit? Yeah, I guess so at that time you are, but that is new information we didn't have. And so it, right. it's a no-win situation. Right. But I, I view the downside risk as more hurtful than the upside loss of opportunity. Well, let's talk a little bit about about how close the world is knit, knitted together here. And and we're we're all tucked in bed at night and sleeping just fine and and you wake up tomorrow and the market is 180 degrees of where it was when you went to bed. So why why does this happen? I see I'm assuming Europe comes online and then you see a push in volume for a while. It, walk through how we're all intertwined now. What what's happening here? Well, just it's, pick a market. Just pick a market. I don't care what. I mean, I can tell a couple pretty, I guess, uh, pretty uh, pertinent stories to just that. You go back to 2000, 2018, kicked off the trade war, right? So it was the Monday after Easter, the Friday before Easter, Thursday before Good Friday. You have the USDA report the big crops, uh, acres and stocks report comes out wildly bullish markets just rip. Go home three day weekend, come in Monday, markets kind of up or down, but it didn't really give much up after a big day Thursday. And that's usually a fairly friendly signal to the market. And we've heard bits and pieces coming into this, that China and the US aren't getting along. About 1, 2 a.m., this is when I lived in Colorado. Um, so we're at 1, 2 a.m. mountain time, I wake up and I've got this weird feeling. What? Mm-hmm. So I, as always, I check the phone. Beans are down 46, I think. Corn's down 25. We're sitting, as, at the time we're managing uh, a, a position in JBS, an uh, internal hedge fund, basically. And the amount of money lost in that short little bit of sleeping was the most I've ever seen disappear in my life. Uh, <laughs> and this never is... Even- you never even got to feel it. You did, you were sleeping the whole time. Well, I, I woke up and it was like, I don't even know if I have a job now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it just the massive change that happens. And it was uh, President Xi and Trump had start kicked off the trade war. She said they're going to uh, start tariffing U.S. soybeans. And I mean, we went into one of the lowest export seasons of soybeans. And for the next two years, the market was driven by tweets and theories and the S&Ds almost just got thrown away. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, so I, the reason I tell that story is it's not, you, you don't always want to talk about the good, the good days, but that is the type of risk you get into when you get into super high prices like we have right now, when you get into geopolitically led events like we have with Russia and Ukraine. You had, what was it, last week, I forget the day, late, Malaysia Indonesian government says we're not going to allow refined palm oil to be exported now. Right. It suddenly pulls a huge amount of edible oil off the market. Bean oil is on fire, ripping and roaring, and bean spread, bean oil spreads are going. I mean, you don't see these things coming. Well, for everything that's bullish, there's eventually going to be a bearish offset. And that's why it's really hard for me to look at 750 new crop corn and say, we're irresponsible if we're not doing something to protect a three to four hundred dollar an acre profit today. Yeah. Regardless of the unknown to come. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think you've got the same scenario with soybeans and the same scenario with wheat as well. But you know, the the thing that that I want to talk about here also is, you know, if you protect yourself more with paper. Than, than say cash sales, then you, you might not get yourself into as much trouble at the elevator. For example, the wheat, 
you know, who knows what, how many bushels a, a farmer's going to have. If he's got a bunch of cash sales on, he can wind up getting himself in trouble. So, so talk a little bit about, about cash sales versus then more, more protecting versus, versus futures or, or, and or options. Oh, wheat's a great uh, one to really talk about. Poor wheat farmer, maybe one of the bravest farmers out there because yeah. Yeah. you can have a great crop all the way to harvest and then it gets a rain and it sprouts and the falling number drops and quality kills you. So we all know that. I don't need to talk to the farmers about that, but cash sales at the elevator are great, but you have to remember when the elevator buys that grain, they sell futures immediately. Mm-hmm. There is no gain. They don't care if the futures are up or down. I ran the hedge test for consolidated grain barge for two years. If I wasn't there, there's two people that are sitting there. As soon as we are over a half a contract long, instant market order to sell. They're just constantly keeping that position flat. Now, if they want to take a flat or a spread position, they'll do so in a separate account, but they don't play around with flat price. So they have a short edge. And then if you have a crop problem, what happens? Markets go up. Their short hedge is causing a margin call on their books. You don't have the grain to offset the margin call. They have a problem. That's why they demand either reparation for the hedge, the difference in where it was hedged and the market value at the day of, or show up with grain. And so you got to be prudent with pre-selling too much. And really, you got to watch these, I call them crazy. I shouldn't put my opinion on it really, but these double up type contracts or they're basically short haul based contracts where it sounds good when you put it on, but behind the scenes, what's happened is they've sold two calls and you have to own into that call if you don't have the grain. And, and yeah. It's just really dangerous. So I, it's kind of like a seatbelt that doesn't, or an airbag that doesn't go off when you need it. Yeah. And so to bring it back to the original question, the options and futures allow some flexibility because you don't have a physical grain commitment. You can double click and be out of that position or call your representative and say, I want out market order. Yeah. Until you get into a Russia, Ukraine where that wheat market just blew up dollars at a time for days, that's a rare event. In that case, then your futures hedge is pretty punitive because you're experiencing what the elevator is. Right. And then there's another caveat to throw into that. That's basis. So for example, there was a, 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 some information came across the wire today that a processor in, in uh, Eastern Midwest, I, I don't know who it was, it just said the Eastern Midwest is now bidding 75 over July futures for soybeans. Mm-hmm. So that that right there, and now couple what we what you just described with now hanging on to your cash crop, now you can take advantage of that basis play. Correct. Now that's that's if you, it takes a lot of financing to do this, if you're going to manage it on paper, but it's something to plan for. But we're moving to the age where the farmers are becoming the grain elevators. There's enough, you drive around Illinois, Indiana, there's more and more grain facilities going up every day. Um, we own a millwright business. I think we're putting up nine grain lakes this summer, just for a small little millwright business. And it's amazing the amount of infrastructure being built by the farm. That infrastructure is only, it's good for one thing, speed of harvest, but two, basis arbitrage and manager carries and inverses. And if you're going to build the big million dollar facility, you need to operate it like a grain elevator, which means you don't hold grain through an inverse. If you do, you better have a pretty good bullish stance on the basis long-term and manage accordingly. And so like the bean processor, I know who you're talking about, good friends with the guys, but they, uh, what they're finding is we had this huge influx of price. Beans went from what, 12 to 15, 18 bucks. All the beans moved to the commercial. The exporter came in. China has been buying beans hand over fist, January, March, when they usually shut it down in January. All of a sudden here in the Eastern Belt, which is very heavily export dependent um, through January, and then the beans go to the processor. Well, they all moved to the export market or their short basis to the exporter. And this processor didn't have enough days on it. Yeah, it's not that they did something wrong. They just weren't able to get enough days coverage on. 
Right. And so they're having to pay for it and they're paying through and creating the inverse, despite July know that or July set at 40 some cents or right. 22 cents, sorry. Yeah. Huge inverses here. Yeah. And that that's that then is is how a farmer can take advantage of that storage you're talking about. And 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 I mean, when I was growing up, dad always said, I will carry grain all the way to August because you just don't know what's going to happen. Now, not everyone can be in that kind of a cash position, but if you can be, you you know, cash becomes king. That's the old, you know, the old saying, cash is king. And 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 then you get some crazy things. And I think you're going to see that happen this year because. You know, I want to go down to South America now. Let's just shift and go there. I mean, they have, they're going to run out of beans in their, their shipping lineup three months sooner than normal. So that's going to shift everything back to the U.S. I think so. But you also have to remember, U.S. is doing a huge amount of Feb and March business, which has delayed their start of their window. Uh, now, they've been crushing those beans, but their crop, they lost 20, 25 million tons out of South America in general. So yes, at some point, there will be a shift back to the U.S. earlier. Normally, our windows Ocfeb, Ocjan. Um, I don't know if we won't see some August Seth cargos. I know we're already putting some August Seth cargos on the books, which is kind of a, a spread gamesmanship. You sell August 15, Seth 15, Lake Ham, and then you declare the boat for either an August or Seth, depending on how the July-August spread trades. Now, that was a whole lot in a little bit, but... Um, Sorry. Yeah, you the, need to explain that. You need to explain that a little bit more detail. Sorry. Uh, this is where I meet Susan. The lady that works for me always throws the flag at me when I start talking in tones. But uh, when I said that, so you said when an exporter sells usually a 30 day window with 15 to 20 days declared, 30 days prior to the start of ship. Okay. So what happens a lot of times in these swing periods, the old crop, the new crop, August, September swing, is the buyer will say, I want August 7th. And they'll, they'll put together a package. Maybe they're going to sell August 15, Sept 15. Pick 20 days out of that window. You have 30 days prior to day one to declare. Okay. So they use that to determine how long can they pull from Brazil before they have to switch to the U.S. And also how do I want my spread position to be if I'm long July, August bean spreads or, and so on. And so, it, so who, who is this information being reported to? Well, it's just, nobody has to report it. It's the but, exporter does the deal with his uh, customer. It's a, just like if you and I decided to put a trade together, we don't have to report it to somebody. So okay. Zeno, Bungie, ADM, somebody, their head soybean traders talking to a head trader in China, and they go back and forth. They determine a price, payment term, shipping window, and all that. And they make an export contract. Well, then the selling desk, the US selling desk, will report it to the USDA as August or September, depending on what they feel the best chance of that will ship. Okay. So that's when we get later. That's when we will see it then hit the newswire that, that there was just a million metric tons traded to China. Yeah, and it's done, it's not done as a million metric tons. It may be this desk does 200, two or 55 to 65,000 ton boats. They have to report 110,000 tons because everything over 100 has to be reported. Or and then, but if the buyer is in, they may buy from five different export desks at the same time. Because mm -hmm. they're trying to they're trying to lock in a basis at this level, and if they buy from multiple places, it keeps the market from running up on them. Because the minute you make the sale as the exporter, you go into the barge market, the train market, you send your yeah. hundred grain elevators out to the farmer, and you go try to sweep the table. The red now the flags are going up, and yeah, every, everybody downstream knows what's happening now. And that's how if we see the SIF market go. 30 bid on 35 and all of a sudden the 35 offers are gone. We know something is most likely happening on the export desk to make them want to buy those offers. <laughs> See, <I don't, laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, how can now, can you, can anyone see that information or how are you paying for, for that information? 
No, you, I spent 11 years on an export desk. So that's kind of how you understand the system, but to see it, you'll see it reported on Reuters and some of those places, but they don't know whether to report the bid or the offer. Yeah. Um, You really, you have to kind of understand how things are going and you, you can see different places once you get into a, in, into the industry, you can see where those numbers come from. Yeah, and we use them internally for help and manage basis decisions and spread decisions, but we we won't publish it publicly. No. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your your training days. I mean, what? How were you, I think you were trained at Zeno? Is that correct? Is that how you kind of got your teeth cut, or were you, was it somewhere before that? I spent a few years at a small brokerage in Milwaukee. Uh, Stuart Peterson Group. And then I had interned at CGB when I was in college at Purdue. I spent a semester and a summer at CGB in Cincinnati. Oh, okay. Uh, and started learning the grain merchandising business there and stayed in touch with those guys while uh, I spent first four years, yeah, four years out of Purdue working with the brokerage business and kind of built a business with them that I'm rebuilding now uh, after 15, 18 years of professional trading experience. Right. But then I went to Zeno and that's where I really kind of learned. So tell us what you did. What what happened? To, I mean, you were running some big numbers at Zeno, right? Yeah. Zeno, Zeno has, I think, statistically the world's fastest shiploader in, in the world. So we can load basically a Panamax a day, if not a little more. Oh my God. As I was leading, leaving, they were adding a second barge unloader and uh, additional capacity uh, with the labor. So we were, oh, if Slater hears me, he'll, he'll correct me, but <clears throat> I think we could do 12 million tons a year uh, out of Zeno. Wow. About half a billion bushels. Um, and so that's, if you, you want to break it down, a barge is fifty-five to sixty-five thousand bushels. A train's four hundred, depending on beans or corn. One hundred ten cars. It's about four hundred forty thousand bushels. Um, we, and if everything was humming and you had a boat at the berth, you could unload two hundred ten car trains and 26, 27 barges. I think they're up to over forty barges now, plus the trains. Wow, and it's an amazing amount of volume. It's crazy. And, 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 and which, lo- where, what's the location? Is this the, at the Gulf? Is that where this one is? Yeah. Convent, Louisiana. It's yeah. In, uh, it's 164 miles in on the uh, port of New Orleans. Okay. Okay. I mean, and we've got ports in the, in the Northwest, in the Seattle Northwest, right? Or Pacific Northwest. And I assume we can go out on the East Coast too. I mean, there, there's just, there's just grain going, moving or coming all the time. Don't forget the lakes. Yeah. Well, yeah, on the Great Lakes. Yeah. Yeah, Houston, Galveston, New Orleans. There's a little bit in Mobile. You got um, uh, Georgia's got a small one. Wilmington, North Carolina. Plus the uh, there's some more in that area. Those are all s- small, but New Orleans is the hub. That's the main shipper. P and W be your second biggest grain port. And you got containers going out of Long Beach and uh, East Coast. And then you've got yeah. the lakes, you've got um, trains into Mexico, trains into Canada. So yeah. There's a lot of grain. It's still a small portion compared to what we crush for uh, ethanol. Right, right. Well, okay, let's let's talk a little bit more about, about markets and let's talk about what are, what what would be some strategies for some fun. I mean, I mean, Nathan, these markets are just they're just crazy. I mean, I've traded a long time and I, I am, there's days I'm just perplexed on what's happening here. So (laughs) what, what can, what can we do as farmers to protect ourselves? I know we we've skimmed over it at the 50,000 foot, but I mean, can you go, can you go down and give us a program? You know, we're going to, and you just got to work with me here on, on, on some, you know, he, he does have some crop insurance and 2,500 acres and blah, blah, blah. So can you just say, what, what, how are you gonna build your floor? What percentage of each crop are you gonna do? What are your vehicles you're gonna use? Just, just stuff like that. Sure. Um, I guess for one, one of the main things to do is 
really understand everybody's got an idea. I know you don't know your cost to the penny, but you're running a business, have a budget, have an idea of what good looks like, right? I mean, yeah. you hear that a lot. It sounds very uh, buzzwordy and I hate it, but it makes sense. You need to know is 100 acre profit or 200 acre net of everything. Is that good? If it's good and the market's offering it, then that's something to at least put in the back of your head of maybe I need to do something, maybe not. Then every day you got to assess what are the fundamentals saying. Right now we are at prices we have not seen other than two or three other times. We are in a volatility environment that is extremely frothy, that you have a lot of government intervention. I told the story earlier about the Chinese trade war starting. I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying that is something that can hugely change the market. Government interest rate uh, policy can be a huge change to the market just in a macro sense where we start to put this stock market in a bear market. Go back and look at the 0809 transition from bull market to bear market. I think corn went from six and a half, seven bucks to $2.50. So that's not to predict that will happen today, but those are the risks that happen when governments get involved. Yeah. And so knowing what good looks like and having some sort of concept of how am I going to lock this in if and when the time comes is the start. Now, I mean, we always have the conversation with the guy that says, wish I'd never done nothing. I'd be a lot better off today. <laughs> That's going to work. And it's going to work and work and work until it doesn't work. And then when it doesn't work, can you survive that? And some guys can, and that's great. You have a different risk profile. The guy that's heavily leveraged has just gotten started or owes a lot of money to the bank. I mean, who knows who you are and why you're there? It doesn't matter. You have to recognize that and say, what am I doing to take advantage? If I, if three or $400 an acre, whatever it may be right now is something in front of you, I'd go back and challenge you to tell me how many times in May you had that offer and how often you took it home come October. Yeah. I think I read the other day, Nathan, that I think we've been at these levels over time, 1% of the time. I would, yeah, I'd be surprised if it's that much. Yeah. I mean, that's not very much. That's a, that's days. That's just days. No, and I mean, we, we joke about it, but markets take the uh, stairs up and the elevator down. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's so true. And, and you look at the market structure. Okay. You're at a 730, 740, 750 price point. I just got done saying at the start of this, the participation level is one of the lowest I can recall, at least from the crowd I, I people I talked to was mostly ex-commercials now, fund managers, trade their own money or manage proprietary books. And almost all of us to a man are trading 10 or 20% of the, the value at risk that we would normally trade. Um, and even that's scary sometimes. Mm. And so that money's not in there. That's not creating liquidity. If you get a event where you have basically blown out all the spec shorts, the spec longs are still there. The, sh the person selling right now is the farmer, Brazil, or U.S. hedger. And the minute the market gives a bear signal, who knows what it will be because if we knew we already have reacted, if that buying group, disappears and the spec turns around and says, I need out. That's when you get these air gaps down. You have to find somebody that's willing to take the risk to buy today with the confidence of over 50% confidence. Otherwise I think it's a stupid trade that they're going to sell that to somebody else at a higher price later. And, and if you are at this one top 99% of the market and you're expecting somebody to pay up yet again for your entire crop. That's a business decision you're making, but yeah. make it for the right reason. Right. So help us out now. What, what could we do? Are we going to, or do you ever sell calls? Or are you always a, a, a purchaser of calls? I hate courage calls. I've done it selectively. I hate naked short options even more for a farmer. I'll rarely ever do them myself as a speculator. Only time I'll sell a call is would be for a farmer would be in a call spread. 
or long futures covered call. And even then we get back into that airbag that doesn't go off when you need it to. Yeah. Um, it sounds fun to say, I'll let them call me out of this until you have to pay the margin call all the way up to it, then get called out, watch the market go through your strike and still wait for that time erosion to come and pay you off. In the meantime, you're paying margin calls into it. Yeah. And so it's just a, it's a really, really tough thing to manage mentally. And so I try to avoid it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Being, being short calls is, is, you might, is like being in the actual naked futures position. If the market goes against you, then you're, you're penny for penny on, along for the ride. Yeah. It's yeah. like that, except you don't get the reward if you're correct. Yeah, that's the true. Down, you get a finite reward versus the full coverage position. Yeah, that's true. So what would what would we what should we be doing? Buying some puts here? Uh, they're they're so darn expensive, but I think it's prudent for getting into this planting window. Let's get a look at the next two three weeks weather fundamentals and then react. So we use a lot of short dated options to reduce the amount of money we got to put on the table. So like if we buy short dated July puts today. We're watching that week by week. We know we have till June 22nd before they expire. In that last 30 days, the time value of the theta erosion is tremendous. So we're going to keep that in the back of our mind. And if we get another week, week and a half down the road, and we're not getting the type of movement we need, we may rake them off the table and sit back and look again or sell a put underneath them to reduce our uh, money on the table. In which case you create a fixed risk position, uh, put spread, but we'll actively manage that position. We won't just put it on and let it rot off and then get to the June 22nd and say, darn, that didn't work. Let's go wind up and throw another 40 cents at this thing mm-hmm. because they are so expensive. Right. But you have these inflection events. Last year, the high for corn was put in on the USDA report, I think 10th of May. Um, not that history will repeat itself exactly, but look at the setup we have right now. We have a Brazil crop problem that we've kind of priced in. We've got this uh, Russia-Ukraine thing that it doesn't even make the top of the Wall Street Journal every day now. It's becoming mm-hmm. kind of old news, despite how tragic it really is. And right. you've got a, <clears throat> a U.S. weather, planting weather market that's added some premium and, I mean, I'll joke, planting markets are the greatest ones to sell. Planting delay markets, just find me a time where you haven't got the crop planted. And and the amount of premium that gets thrown at it versus the amount of risk it really represents, I think is something to keep in mind. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It's, um, you know, I think as a farmer, I think your mindset is always to the long side because you you want the market to go up and but you see what we forget about is we're already long the cash so, so <laughs> how many years long. yeah huh? for years yeah yeah so we kind of forget about that so you know maybe maybe a person needs to think about um what kind of a position would a person look at to protect maybe not this crop, but maybe the next one as well. You know, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, but it's like you said earlier, Nathan, if you're at a level here where you're going to make money, you've got to lock something in. Now, you may not have to lock it in, but you need to make a conscious decision why you're not. Yeah. Fundamentally, I can make the argument that 735 new crop corn, where we're at right now, is pricing a ton of risk in, and if we get 90, 91 million acres of corn, 180 yield, we're probably a dollar too high based on everything that we can talk about today. Yeah. If we lose five or six bushels an acre, we're probably $2 too low. Mm-hmm. And that is such a dichotomy, but is that dollar downside risk, which is, I mean, I usually am going to hedge myself with the idea that things are going to grow. We're going to get it planted and we're going to have a pretty darn good yield. We did not have a stellar growing season last year. We had a record yield. Yeah. So yeah. I don't really want to bank on the tail risk side with my entire production. Right. 
Well, let's talk about something else we haven't talked about yet. Let's talk about the, the U.S. dollar. Now, the dollar has a lot to do with this. And as you know, if people pay attention here, the markets have been struggling here the last week or two or, or so. And what's the dollar been doing? It's just been on a, on a like you said, a stair, stair step up. So what, what, what do you see? How do you see that playing out as, as foreign trade? I mean, this, things are getting a little dicey. I mean, we don't know if China's going to stand with Russia. Uh, we just don't know what's going to happen here. So what, how does the dollar now come in into all this? Well, let's answer that two ways. One, we've got to understand that where is the dollar's place in the world? Is it changing or not? And two, for now, for this crop year, we are going to price export grain in the world against the dollar. Dollar being strong is a very nasty macro negative fundamental to the grain markets. Right. We have enough corn in old crop to handle all the ethanol, all the domestic feed and everything in the U.S. We have enough beans for the same purpose, maybe less so because we exported so many in February March. But a strong dollar, as soon as it started doing that, uh, pull it up here so I can speak wisely about it. The... U.S. went from competing on the export market at huge elevations, which is where we can buy SIF NOLA beans, sell FOB NOLA, or SIF NOLA corn, sell FOB NOLA beans, <clears throat> to we are 50 cents behind the world land at Asia in 45 days. So the dollar is, I mean, a huge move today, reversed yesterday's low. Since the beginning of April, it's up almost 5%. Yeah. And, and, and that is in currency terms and the world's major currency, that's huge. And so what's happened is the real has had the opposite effect. The real has weakened versus the dollar. The Brazil farmer who was sitting on his hands and not putting grain in the market because he's actually getting less reais per bushel today than he was when futures were $2 lower in a different currency uh, scenario this time last year. Yeah. Now, wait a so minute. He's okay. saying, I'm not selling. Yeah. Think about what you just say that again. Say, he, say that again. Because of the U.S. dollar and the relationship. The dollar real spread. The spread. Has moved to the point where futures roughly $2 higher now versus this time last year. The nope. Brazil farmer is still getting less in their local currency than they were this time last year. So they're not excited about these prices. No. Now, in the last month and a half, like we said, the dollar's moved 5%, the real is weakened. That, that has changed. He's now starting to get very, very strong prices. He's letting some beans fly. He's letting some corn move. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's a big deal. And we used to build our balance sheets. The U.S. was the residual supplier to the world. We're the most expensive port to, to call. We're the most expensive grain to grow per acre. Um, and, and so we are the usually the seller of last resort. Brazil will empty all their reserve stocks. Argentina will empty theirs and Ukraine will empty theirs. You're talking about corn. Now with Ukraine locked up, potentially 33 million tons off the world market, the question the market hasn't answered, or at least from the commercial side we haven't said or figured out is, how much Ukraine corn is going in the ground? How much is getting out of the country? They may plant 80% of their acres, but if it's not getting out of the country, it's not helping the world balance sheet. No. And in which case we may come calling for the U.S. corn, in which case you'll see massive inverses. Doesn't necessarily mean a flat price move because the world corn balance sheet says we have this corn. We just don't have it now. And so yeah. that's where your spreads come into play. Yeah. Yeah, you see that? God, Nathan, there's so many, there's so many caveats you have to, I mean, you just can't look at a couple of things. Well, we had great exports this, this past week or whatever. That doesn't tell the whole story because of what you just explained, that that world balance sheet has not changed one iota, even though there's record amounts of corn leaving the U.S. Now, I'm going to assume, though, that if you have another weather issue with the safrina crop in South America, I mean, some of this is going to start to catch up. Yeah, and we're pricing that daily. I mean, we're in the we're in the 
what August, September time window, or maybe I should say July, August, September time window of Sophrenia. I mean, they harvest in July. So we got two months yeah. of prime filling, growing post-pollination. They're very dry. Um, yeah. Market estimates have gone from anywhere from 120, 124 million tons. We're kind of down around 115 to 111 with uh, one popular analyst throwing out a 107. Yeah. So we're reducing reserve supplies to the world market yet again, yeah. despite what's going on in Ukraine. So that, that's been, I mean, we're talking about it. That's priced in. It's in the market today. That's not a reason to stay long. Yeah. Now, well, if it gets worse, that changes it. Yeah. Now, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot too much here, but uh, right now with, with everything you've got on your, on, I imagine you got four or five screens in front of you that we can't see. Um, do you, are you more friendly corn or more friendly beans or, or wheat or, or just friendly everything? Or, or what are you, what are you thinking right now? I've been short corn here for most well, first week of May started covering it in today. It's just not breaking like I thought it would break despite the dollar rallying. doesn't yeah. mean it won't come back to it. Yeah. Um, I've we were in general, most of our trades or my trades are going to be spread related and not flat price. Um, if we do flat price, it's going to be a lot of call spreads with futures or uh, right. risk reversals with futures, like things that you've got an out on. Yeah. Uh, but just pure fundamentals, looking at everything status quo today and assuming a normal yield. And it, I think the market's priced a bigger jump of corn acres than probably I think reality will prove. Mm -hmm. That survey we get in March, it rarely changes more than a million acres in June. Everybody likes to say this year it'll be different. Every time I hear that, I want to say no, it won't because yeah. you're that now you're back out in the tail risk and, and dealing with unlikely scenarios. So if we don't get quite the bump of corn acres, I think we're pricing, <clears throat> then corn could be friendly again. But the bean market, we have shoved so many beans out the door export-wise. I think we have a tighter old crop S&D in the beans than we realize, in which case that'll carry to new crop. And it really puts the onus on production. We've got to raise a big bean. Yeah. So with a weather market, I'm friendly everything with good weather. I think we're up, we're, we're so high in the stratosphere that I think you got to be careful being long. Yeah. Well, let, let's go into another area here. Um, what do you, what do you think um what do you think about about the invasion of ukraine um i mean putin's got a plan what do you what do you do you think he's trying to uh to rock the u.s dollar here and and knock it off as the the currency of 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 choice around the world i i haven't finished this book yet but if anybody has the chance and the stomach for it, read Ray Dalio's book, Changing World Order. It is fantastic. And it was written back during COVID. And it literally almost spells out this situation right now, where three major world powers, Russia, China, US, um, <clears throat> start battling it out. The US currency in, in terms of empires of world history, we are doing a lot of things domestically that are putting our world currency domination and our status as the number one nation in the world at risk. Yeah. And without getting into politics and all that, it, there's statistical analysis in that book that prove when you have a very uh, dynamic left and right or a move away from the middle politically, you have a bigger chance of a civil war, whether it's a, a, a hot war or a cultural war or a financial war, it starts to split the country, weaken the currency. We do a lot of things that don't, we're throwing a lot of money out that is not invested money. It's just spent money. Yeah. It's okay to buy a truck if that truck is going to make you money. But if you're going to buy a truck because it looks pretty, that's a depreciating asset. So kind of the same thing. Instead of repairing locks and dams and 
building out infrastructure and things that that dollar is going to go and make two or three or four more dollars. We're just giving a dollar to somebody for getting dead or whatever. So we're weakening our currency from within. China's going to sit back and just let us do it. They're crazy to get in our way. And then they get the added bonus of Russia kicking off this deal in Ukraine. And Russia is a massive country with a massive amount of natural resources. The world natural resource shortage right now is why commodities are doing what they're doing. China is the biggest consumer of these. Um, one of these two countries is going to weaken themselves and they're going to make a move. Yeah. Uh, and this is, could be 10 years, 20 years, it could be way out there. But so I, I don't know what to make of the macro scene of what Russia is doing here. I can make all kinds of guesses. I think there's a certain amount of beat our chest pride for Putin and wanting to build back the old Soviet Union. I think there's a bigger play in terms of buddying up with China and And maybe India doing something like this that could uh, disrupt the currency. Uh, and And then you just have culturally, these are two countries that don't view human life the same way the United States does. I've yeah. traveled throughout Ukraine, China, most of Asia, uh, and they have a different view of human life. And as, whether it's right or wrong, it's different than ours. We would say it's wrong, but to them, it's okay. So yeah. you travel enough, you start to take a step back when you're the foreigner and say, are they really wrong or not? In our value system, yes, and theirs, no. So yeah. I don't know what they're doing or why, but I know it's really scary when they start to take over the major Black Sea ports in terms of world food. Food starts to become weaponized when you can hold it off the market. Yeah. Yeah. This is very dangerous uh, ground we're on right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the name of Ray's book again, Nathan? I want to say it's Changing World Order. I, I shouldn't quote it if I don't know. I, I'll have it here. The Changing World Order. It's a pretty intellectual read, but it is fantastic in describing exactly things going on. It's got uh, statistical analysis behind it. Yeah. Uh, it breaks down the Chinese dynasties going back hundreds of years and how they rose and fell and the things that it's history repeating itself as these empires keep falling apart. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how we don't learn from history? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It, and it, it can be reversed, I think, but you need a strong leader. We need to move back to the middle. We need an understanding that, I mean, you go back to the 30s and 40s. I mean, we built the Hoover Dam under budget, un, faster than it could have been done, and yeah. get back the money they didn't need. Well, that would yeah. never happen today. No, no. So we need to kind of shake up culturally this right, – Kind of getting out out of bounds here, but the, the, no, 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 no. The, Keep the going. whole I deserve this because I'm alive thing instead of I need to go earn it. Mm-hmm. We need to change that mentality. Yeah, totally agree. Hey, Rachel, could you type that in the chat, please? It's Ray. I think uh, Dalio D A L I D A L I O, and then the book is uh, the Changing World Order. If you could put that in the chat, please. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Look at, uh, Gary. I'm sorry. I don't know your last name, Gary. Look at where. That's Ray my dad. <laughs> What's that? That's my dad. <laughs> oh, it's your dad. Hey dad. Look at where Ray Dalio and BlackRock are investing. Now they are invested in China instead of the USA. Yeah. I mean, his job is to be agnostic and invest where he sees returns. That's right. That's what he's supposed to do. That's exactly right. So, you know, Nathan, this is this is dangerous. I mean, this is scary because if if for some reason we we lose the U.S. dollar as the current the currency of trade, it I I don't know what's going to happen then. It's hard to predict. I mean, it never plays out like you think. I'm, I'm sure everybody wants to say, well, then I'll go to China, but it may not necessarily do that. You've got a three trillion dollar asset in crypto. Yeah. Don't ask me to explain it, but I mean, that's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. We've created $3 trillion of wealth or 
in, in, what do you call it, equity out of running computers and just people willing to bid it up. It goes back to what we talked about with corn at 730. They're buying it with the hopes that somebody's willing to pay much more than where they bought it today later. That's right. To sell it back out. Yeah, that's right. Maybe yeah. the purist isn't. The purist thinks that I'm just going to hold it and that's my new currency. But it's funny. They all value it in dollars. still. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the trade, everything you've talked about, you know, your work, you worked at JBS, you worked at Zeno, all these things. It was all based on the U.S. dollar trade, right? Or the dollar was the backing currency. So I yeah. assume you would do those calculations of whatever, whatever their currency was in relationship to the U.S. dollar at that time of trade. Yeah, I mean, everybody's trading in dollars. The, the buyers are going to have a currency desk if they have to convert to yen or yeah. whatever currency you're trading in. But right. we yeah. typically, well, we would watch the dollar index, but we didn't have a currency position per se. Now your ADMs, the Cargills, those guys will have that because they have enough operations in those other countries that they have a hedgeable risk. Right, right. Well, this has been great, um, and I want to I want to say something to your dad. Listen in, Gary. Uh, he's uh, Gary is a consultant of uh, he's a regenerative uh, consultant. So please uh, reach out to him sometime. He's done uh, done a lot of great things. So keep up the good work, um, Nathan. What uh, what would you like to close with here? Take take us home. Last you know, couple thoughts you've got, and uh, we'll let you go here this evening. Oh, man. Um, I guess one of the messages that we're really pushing, it's kind of counterintuitive, is don't get lost in the weeds of the individual daily fundamentals. You got to run a business. If you can make really good money for your business, you need to make steps to protect that opportunity. Uh, I've been in, it's not the same as farming, but I've made trades that have piled on so fast and so high and you sit there and go, wow, this is wonderful. I hope it happens tomorrow. And then all of a sudden it may be day two, day three, you're like, I've never made this much money so fast, but you forget to get out. And then day four, it just, and all of a sudden 30, 40, 50, 60% of it disappears. And the gut wrenching feeling of I had it and it is gone mm-hmm. is so important to avoid. Yeah. It doesn't mean, go stick your head in a pillow and do nothing, but you've got to respect that we are in some really, really frothy times that things are going to move fast and we're not going to see it coming. And so make decisions based on if I lose all of this, can I live with it? Yeah. Yeah. And never risk more than you can afford to lose. That's, that's exactly right. Avoid short futures, naked call, naked short calls, overpricing grain. I mean, if you overprice grain and we have a crop problem, we will move so high and so far, so fast. I think it will, you will see people go broke over it. Yeah. And it, it's that dangerous. doesn't mean don't do anything, but it means be very cautious in the things you do. Yeah. And that, that could happen, Nathan, because I mean, when you get, when you get these markets that are just, you know, casually moving higher, that doesn't really, scare anybody you you think it's going to go to the moon but when you start getting all this volatility that we're getting you panic and you start to make those cash sales because you don't want to miss the train you don't want to miss this opportunity well if all of a sudden you've got a guy who's sold out to 165 bushel corn and he only raises 140 bushel corn for whatever reason there's going to be trouble yeah and that, that insurance policy is not there. It just can't, you can't pick it up. Yeah. Insurance is extremely important. It's not to downplay it, but it's not the parachute it needs to be in that instance. Yeah. You need, right. to, you need to, I, if you're going to farm in a large way and have any leverage at all, I think you need to be able to explore some sort of options or futures with options type positioning to get past 50% sold when the tea leaves read right and there's good money on the table. Yeah. Because that also gives you this basis flexibility. There's 75 cents in basis and beans just from having flexibility to have shopped it harvest to now. 
And you can't do that if you start committing cash grain now. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I I think I think we're going to we're, you know, I hope there's folks out there with still some cash left because I feel like the basis is just going to stay strong all the way. Make them them come get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cash is king. So and it always has been and always will be. Um, All right. Well, give us give us a couple web. Give us some websites um, that, that folks can go to. I know you've got. You've got a, a service, you've got light touch, you've got all touch, whatever you call it. Uh, t- tell us about how we can get a hold of you. So I, it's not just me. So I work mainly on strategy. I've got a work with a great team of people, uh, Susan David, Jeff Fickleman, uh, Jake Weiner. These, these people, Jake has been in the business. He was training me when I was an intern at CGB. He's, uh, he runs... Uh, 50 some farms, I believe, here, Indiana, Ohio, where he will manage bases, manage cash sales. Uh, he will work with the elevator on where to place hedges. He does not do futures and options. Um, any of those questions will come my way. Susan works with me. Jeff and Susan and I have a company called Grainbold. It's a new subscription service where we, we kind of, our, our purpose is to try to break it down three or four bullet points per commodity or less focus on what's really important, try to remove the noise and make it very easy off the shelf. Uh, It's under 500 bucks a year. And we do something every day. Monday is uh, a technical, we kind of rehash the the COT report, look at the charts and Jeff does a lot of work on the technical side. Tuesday, Susan and I kind of help her with the fundamental here's, main fundamentals for this week. Wednesday, we do a, uh, a live Zoom call at 7 a.m. You can call in, ask questions. It's basically like this, only we try to shorten it to 15 minutes and I don't have to talk so much. Yeah. Uh, Thursday, Susan writes a fantastic letter that is more macro-related. It's bullet points and pictures and graphs. Uh, it's a spinoff where she, I think she had over a thousand people reading it when she was at CGB. Um, it used to be Tough talk with Susan or something like that. Now it's called, we call it the uh, no bull. Okay. There's four dots after the bull. You can figure out what that means. Yeah. And then Friday is just kind of a recap. And so that that's boils down and it's 500 bucks a year. It's pretty reasonable. We have a brokerage service. We have a full service uh, where we will sit down and customize to your farm. Um, so just go on the website, give us a call, send us an email and we'll figure out what works. Yeah, see, I look at I look at you and what you're doing there, Nathan, exactly the way a person needs to um, draw a baseline. And if they're getting ready to make a major change in the way they're farming, like say they've gone, they're, they're in full tillage now and they want to go to no-till cover crop, be more regenerative, we've got to establish that baseline. So you come in and collect all the data you possibly can. And then as you move forward, you see if is this working or is it not working? And I'm assuming you're in that same camp. You got to get, you need to collect as much data as you possibly can to help, you know, I guarantee too strong of a word, but help secure that they're going to have success in this marketing program. Yeah, and, and that's our goal. We, I mean, the amount of information we as a group will go through in a day is mind boggling. Yeah. Jeff's been doing this 20 years. He's managed billions of bushels. Susan's been a merchandiser for the, St. Louis market since uh, she got out of school, started with uh, working with us a year and a half ago. I've been trading professionally for nearly 20 years. And it, it's it's been a really fun time for us as a team because we don't have the corporate shackles on us and we can kind of do yeah. what we want. So we yeah. change our product, we add a product. Uh, we, we will be uh, launching a managed money product here in the near future where we will kind of an investment product. Mm-hmm. Well, good. There's a number of things going on as, as we kind of build this out. And and you're back. Are you're back home on the family farm now? Is that correct? I moved back to where I grew up. I live uh, about 15 minutes from the house I grew up in after living in Milwaukee, Indy, Louisiana, Colorado, and then moved back home. So wow. 
I manage uh, my brother, mom, and I. We have a uh, organic uh, soy any any grain, organic and non-GMO grain conditioning facility. Yeah, a lot of yeah. overseas containers. That's great. We gotta we gotta keep those. You get folks in mind. It's Greensburg, basically, right? Is that correct? correct. Greensburg, yeah. Greensburg, Indiana. I mean, I'm I'm out speaking and, and preaching that we need to be co-mingling these crops and what a better place to get them separated than a facility like yours bring uh wheat and soybeans in and together and they leave as two separate yeah, uh, two separate crops so stuff like that so well nathan i i can't thank you enough for being on um well maybe we'll have you on again but we've gotta we gotta remember that these are these are times that we hey i never thought we'd be here you know two years ago i didn't think we'd be here and here we are so we've got to take advantage of this and and the important thing here folks is to keep your head up and stay positive because there's so much that goes on in your life and with the farm and then if you look up and see that beans are down 55 cents one day which they're going to be one one of these days two days ago <laughs> yeah and then you, you think you've missed missed everything so you, you've just got to sometimes seek professional help and nathan and his team are are here to be that that help if you need it so nathan thank you, thank you so much have a great evening and and good luck with uh, the rest of the spring all right you too stay safe thanks bye-bye